Dark Live, you can webcast for all things Dice Dragons, Demons, and a Dwarf from the Warhammer Worlds. I'm your host, Patrick, and tonight I got Chuck Justin in the voice of my head. Steve, fellas, what do you hear? What do you say? It's been a very long, very fun weekend, and we're all tired, but we're here to keep you guys entertained. That's it, man. <laughs> we are uh, we are back, a little uh, beat up, bruised, tired, but you know what? We're happy we're doing this, man. Chuck, Steve, let him hear your voices, man. Wasabi. Oh, just uh, I got done with the the great two day event that Justin was kind of getting at. Learned a lot of uh, tricks with the Sons of Behemoth, um, and I think came out on the better end of uh, the event, learning uh, some mistakes that I made. So yeah, it, it it's always good to do that kind of stuff, and you know, rehash your list out and kind of think about what you can do different. That's it, man. You learn a lot more from from your losses than you do from your wins, man. At least I, at least at least I always have. Steve, what's uh, what do you what do you hear, man? What do you say? Hey, head up. I had a first great outing with my soul blight this past weekend. So yep. uh, it was a good weekend. Yeah. You know, folks, and what they're talking about is Armed Forces Day 4. We had a very successful wrap-up <laughs> to that uh, to that tournament. Uh, that thing uh, was finally uh, uh, came to a fruition. And we're going to be getting a little bit more into that here when we in our, in our segment of uh, staying true or sniffing glue. But uh, but here on tonight's uh, main topic, uh, we got a great topic. We actually have a really good topic, one that we've been kind of kicking the can down the road to kind of talk about. Um, and at the point in time in our little uh, show, we generally uh, uh, like to have these one-off topics. And tonight's topic, we're going to be talking a lot about casual versus competitive kind of mindsets, you know, and, and really how to balance that. And tonight, as a, as a great, awesome returning guest with us here to talk about that, we got Joseph Venable. Joseph, wasabi, bud. Thanks for being with us. Hey, what's up, guys? So, uh, glad to be back. What's up? Yeah, you. so you were back with us. Last time you were with us was uh, you were talking about your perverts. Uh, no, I was talking about Bone Reapers. I haven't talked about my perverts yet. Oh, that's right. No, I'm sorry, folks. I meant I meant he is a pervert. Talking about Bone Reapers. Got it. Got it. Yes. Sorry. Yes. There we go. No, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Sorry about that. And um, and yes, uh, we we got we got uh, something that came in on the chats. Give us more 3.0 news, please. You know what? We're gonna do that. Oh. Just because you asked. Just because you asked. We're gonna do that. But you got to uh, you got to stick around, man. And we're gonna be doing that here a little bit more in the news. It's it's not a lot. It's not a lot. Just a little taste. Just a little taste. Just a little something to uh, uh, you know, give you give you hope and and all that kind of stuff. So, Steve. Uh, you ready to get rolling, man? Let's go. All right. Well, uh, folks, thank you so much uh, for joining us here tonight on Grimdark Live. And, and uh, if you like our show, please don't forget to give us our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so. So let's uh, let's roll with this one, man. So uh, we're going to start this uh, right off the top, man. Are you, uh, Chuck, you, you staying true? You're sniffing glue, man. What do you, what do you got going on? You know, I am still sniffing glue. I have uh, a big 20-some Space Marine uh, commission for Thousand Suns that I've got to get going. And I picked up this guy, uh, Kragnos, from my local game store. Kind of right. stinks that 
all of our local areas, you know, we're only getting allocated so many models. So it, it really makes it more critical that if you want something to get your pre-order in or call your local store, support your game store uh, and, and get those pre-orders in as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, what's funny is uh, uh, there was a, a battle report that just, uh, that just came out not too long ago. Uh, I think it was, um, I think it was uh, mini Wargaming. I think. And they just, I think it was today. Maybe yeah. that just had a, a Kragnos. It yep. was, it was a gut busters list with Kragnos. And it was kind of neat to see. Although I was kind of surprised because in that, in that battle report, Kragnos got killed off pretty quickly. Yep. So yeah, kinda, unfortunately. Yeah. So 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 that was I was I was a little surprised. All right, spoiler alert. See, I do this all the time, Steve. See, I did it again. I just gave everyone a. a, uh. a sorry, guys. Okay, don't don't forget. If, you know what? Sorry. All right. I you know, guys, I'm gonna do that. You know, here's here's the thing, folks. I can keep a secret. The problem is the people I tell can't. There you go. <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, what what about you, Justin? Are you staying true? Are you sniffing glue? Um, kind of a combination of both. I'm kind of burnt out, worn out, but I rearranged my room a little bit and got stuff put away for whatever needed. I built a few models here and there, but nothing real major. Well, you know, young man, you got to clean that room every once in a while. So, uh, Steve, what about you, man? You staying true? You're sniffing glue. I'm done. I have no projects. I just finished up my my vampires. I don't want to see another model for at least another three months. Yeah, well, at, at least not the plastic kind. Will you stop? What are you talking nice. about? I can't. I can't. We can't even have a conversation anymore, Steve. You're always getting all upset all the time. You know, Chuck. You know what I'm talking about, right? Wink, wink. Yeah, he, say no more. He's like, he's so angry all the time. I can't even talk to him about like my feelings, like how I feel today. Yeah, I'm like, a vampire. We have hot blood. Well, that's that. See, you know, and, and Chuck, that's like that other topic we were talking about. You know, about the models on the trampoline. Remember that one? Yes, uh, we just I well because I just fixed our trampoline today. We got a new uh, mat for it and a pad and new uh, high efficiency springs to replace the old ones. And I, that's a true story. That just didn't happen to jump in there. See, folks, he's on top of things. All right. So, uh, oh, okay. What, what do you, do? You, you get your mind out of the gutters, you bunch of bastards. We got a show to do. Joseph, see, these guys are really embarrassing me here, man. What, uh, what, what do you think, man? You staying true? You sniffing glue? Oh, I'm staying true. Uh, you know, I thought I was going to be burnt out after uh, two days of Armed Forces Day, but I'm uh, more motivated than ever. I got a couple of paint projects. I'm working on uh, Legions of the First Prince, and then I've got uh, this girl right here to add to my Slanesh army. Love it, man. You you are really, I mean, those those perverts are kind of your jam, man. Oh, yeah, they're, they're great. I love painting them. Uh, the new twins that came out are just amazing, immaculate models. I can't wait to get started. Yeah. And, you know, folks, if you want to check out a really good battle report, uh, and, Joseph, we got to get another one wrapped in, man. we got we got to get the uh, the Slanesh back on the table again, and we got to get another good battle report. But we, we filmed a battle report a few weeks back. It was a great, great, great uh, uh, battle report and a good time. So, folks, check that out. Uh, I, I, uh, I played Joseph here, and it was a, it was a great game. But as far as me, man, obviously, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to start sniffing glue. I'm going to say that right now. I'm, I'm going to start sniffing glue. But um, I want to thank all of you uh, for an awesome Age of Sigmar and 40K event uh, and all you gamers for making this year uh, possible and a huge success. Armed Forces Day 4 really was um, uh, better than anything I think any one of us could have planned as far as a, a tournament. We had 72 players between both games. Uh, and, and, and they really showed up in force and really represented uh, perfectly. 
Um, and, and thank you to the VFW in, in Lockport for being a great host. Uh, very generous bartenders. I want to point that out real quick here. Very generous oh, yeah. bartenders there. I mean, heavy pours happening all week. I mean, heavy-wristed people, man. They just, in long counts. And uh, and everybody held their liquor pretty good. Steve, you didn't pass out once. I thought you did pretty good. That keg stand got a little weird, though, after game two. Well, I did have a couple of Shirley Temples in a row, but it was a, it was a rough night. I thought you weren't going to bring up the models anymore. <laughs> nice. See, you, you zig when I zag, Steve. We got to try to hold this together. Yeah, but the last time we did that, we got arrested in Vegas. That I remember that. Boy, was that fun. All right, so anyways, back back to this. But, you know, honestly, you know, going back to Armed Forces Day uh, in that tournament, um, I want to send a special thanks to all the vendors that have stepped up to make this prize support possible. Uh, and they were very generous. And that was Six Squared Studios, Ministop.com, uh, Monument Hobbies, and a few other independent games uh, and gamers that uh, have donated prize support on their own. And thank you all very, very much. But, you know, realistically, I really want to give the biggest shout-out and thanks to the 72 players, the 36 Age of Sigmar players, and the 36 40K players that came out and played five awesome, awesome games. Um, you know, we, we saw uh, our Stan Lee, you know, Marvel Comics, the Stan Lee Cup raised for the first time by a, a new 40K, uh, our very first 40K champion. And, um, and we have a new Age of Sigmar champion. And uh, all that information is going to be up uh, not only on the Armed Forces Day Facebook page, but also on the Grimdark Live website and more to come on that. We're getting all that together. But just a... Uh, uh, just, just a really awesome event, and, and I, I got to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. And here's the thing, folks: Armed Forces Day Five is already in the works, so more to come on that. Uh, it, it, we already have it all set up for Armed Forces Day weekend next year, uh, 2022. So be on the lookout for that because uh, we are also planning on expanding and adding in more, uh, more games, and uh, possibly another day. We're looking at um, doing some, uh, some events on Friday as well. So uh, hang in there for that. But Tonight's show. Uh, let's let's uh, let's get back to that before we uh, we we break into the uh, the peek behind the curtain on the question of the day. So here it is, gang. Uh, if you guys heard at the top of the show when I was introducing everybody, uh, and these guys were you know going off on a limb talking about models and all that kind of stuff, uh, we are going to be talking tonight on casual versus competitive as far as the mindset and how to balance the two. And our and our guest tonight is Joseph Venable. He's going to kind of help us corral this topic, and. Um, and I think, I think that's a good thing to do, right, Justin? I mean, we're going to be looking at ideas of being casual and competitive gaming styles from the perspective of players and models in the game. And I, and I want to talk about the models as well, the units, because I think those things also have a projection of what, what could be competitive versus what couldn't be. You know what I'm saying? Yep, definitely. That's where we need to be in the mindset that gamers have in this hobby. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're left, right, or center, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, Joseph, you know what I'm saying, though? As well? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's a casual and competitive player, two distinct things, but I feel like there's a lot of overlap, and there should be a lot of overlap. It's just a different mindset, different way to appreciate the hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the thing is, is that um, the underlying question, I think, for the topic is how can a gamer balance between the two methods while not destroying, you know, communities or getting run over as a gamer? Uh, because, you know, that's, that, that's not... Um, that's not fun either. Um, and in other words, how not to be a short pants. You know what I'm saying, Steve? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, there is a very fine line between a casual gamer and a competitive gamer, and it really depends on the culture that you create within your own gaming community. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's correct. And, you know, and here's the thing, too, gang, I want to throw out there. I, I, I figure with the new edition of Age of Sigmar and Route, along with, you know, coming off this, this Age of Sigmar tournament and, and 40K tournament that we just had, Armed Forces Day 4, uh, this is going to be a good topic to discuss, you know, the balance between competitive and casual mindsets. And, and, and that really could be the basis of the discussion is, as I said, the balance between casual and competitive type gamer, because I think that's really where the art form meets the science as far as being that type of gamer. Chuck, any thoughts on that? You know, I, I just want to throw back on what you guys were kind of hinting at. And, you know, the gaming group kind of, um, I think that can decide a player's perspective uh, rather quickly. Because if you're in a, a group that does, you know, tier one lists, let's say, uh, your perspective before you go to any events is that you're probably going to expect those types of competitive lists. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're more of a relaxed group that plays in the garage, that uh, drinks, you know, beer and has pretzels, chips or whatever, it, it's going to be more of a casual thing for you. And then there's, right. you know, uh, very non-competitive lists, more narrative lists that people probably paint a little bit better or spend more time converting. And uh, those are going to be the players that just are going to show up to have a good time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I know probably for most people, we want to be sort of in that above average group and have a competitive list, uh, but not necessarily ruin someone's day by what we drop on the table. They just, uh, you know, ru- it ruins their day. You know, they want to walk yeah. away from the table and not even play the game. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you know what, I'm, I, I'm very thankful to kind of, you know, segue into this. You know, we didn't see that at Armed Forces Day 4 this year. I mean, we had very competitive games. Um, that I mean, honestly, the, the, the games were very competitive, very well fought out. But uh, it looked like everybody had a really good time. I mean, here's the thing. I, and, you know, guys, tell me the truth here. I mean, Chuck, Justin, Steve, you guys, all, all three of you guys were there. What did you think? I saw a lot of people who were playing highly competitive lists, but it felt like a non-competitive tournament, if that makes any sense. Sure. You had very casual gaming going on. People were playing. They were serious about their games, but they weren't getting so serious that it actually detracted from the real purpose of the event, which was to have a good time and raise money for the troops. Yeah, and that's what we did, too. As a matter of fact, we rose... uh... Uh, we raised Rose. Yeah, we we raised uh, twenty five hundred dollars for the USO, and we also raised uh, over five hundred dollars uh, for the Montford Point Marines uh, between the the reroll donations and a couple of T-shirts sold. So, um, uh, I got to tell you, uh, I, I am very proud and honored to be part of this gaming community. You guys are awesome, awesome people. Uh, and 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 Housey one thousand. Any way to get any statistics on the tournament? Yeah, man, uh, you can head over to the Armed Forces Day Facebook page. We have a link there that'll show everything, and I'll also post a link here on the in the uh, in the notes here in a little bit. Uh, and uh, and you can you can check out the links uh, and the statistics that way for sure. Uh, but here it is, gang. We're going to take a peek behind the curtain, and I'm going to ask all you guys the question of the day, but don't answer it right now. Hold on to that answer right now. But here it is. Here's the question of the day that we're going to be answering here a little bit later on Grimdark Live. Will the new rule for unit coherency be a powder keg for disputes in games or... Will it be a minor adjustment to gameplay that will only cause initial growing pains? That is the question of the day. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to post this in the chats because uh, that's a doozy of a question, man. That's like verbal long algebra. Joseph, what do you think, man? Oh, you mean you mean like the new uh, Dewey Decimal System of the Core Rulebook? 
Well, you know, it, it's funny the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, uh, it, it, with the whole the whole the whole point. Yeah, yeah, the whole point thing six point three point three. You know, subpart A. Right. Got it. Divided yeah. by pi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, it's starting to read like the National Electric Code. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what though? I mean, but but I think that's I think in a way. See, this is this is a whole other show, a whole other topic. But I think we have to look at the idea that the the game itself has to grow in shape in a way that's that's conducive for proper play. But you also don't want to bolt this on and bolt that on and bolt this over here on, so that you have Warhammer Fantasy Battles Eighth Edition rules creep and bloat all over again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think less ambiguity comes with a price, and that's kind of maybe unnecessary verbiage and unnecessary word bloat. Uh, overall, I think it's probably a good thing, just that there's more clarity and there's no language disputes and stuff like that. I think it's good. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I I'm tr- I like I like your optimism, man. I'm trying to keep a positive mental attitude about it as well. Uh, but yeah, so we are going to uh, get rolling here with the news. Stick around. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. I'll say it again. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios are the real terrain nerds you all need to be getting your terrain from. Get your commercial laser-cut MDF bases, silicone molds for resin prints, game and hobby accessories like 15 to 28 millimeter terrain, 15 to 28 millimeter figures, and 15 to 28 millimeter vehicles, and a lot more. Get your nerd on with Six Squared Studios. Check them out at sixsquaredstudios.ca. Again, that's sixsquaredstudios.ca. Six Squared Studios. Hey, gang. Today's news is brought to you by Six Squared Studios. Yep, an awesome company for all your gaming and hobby needs. Six Squared Studios. I'll say it again. Six Squared Studios. So get your nerd on with Six Squared Studios. Check them out at sixsquaredstudios.ca. Again, that's six-squaredstudios.ca. Six Squared Studios, where tabletop terrain is made by gamers for gamers. Just like their saying goes, gaming accessories made by gamers for gamers. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Tabletop terrain by expert nerds for exceptional nerds. All right, we got the news, man, and and you know this this can be kind of an interesting uh, news segment if I can kind of throw this out there because I think we're going to be uh, more or less discussing th- some of the things that have been floating around. So this is going to be more of like a a, a subtopic, a sub conversation, really in the news uh, because I, I think I think some of the things that we've seen kind of uh, breaking with 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 AOS 3.0 as far as some of the rules and predatory spell implications and all that kind of stuff are going to be good points to kind of warm the show up as far as a conversation, and I think would also kind of be a be a preemptive sub piece to the topic of casual versus competitive um type of conversations but like always man we got to open up with the rumor engine so uh yeah i mean my thoughts on the rumor engine gang here it is i mean this is uh this is the rumor engine of the week it looks like the stormcast banner you know the lord relictor banner uh the the w on the forehead obviously is some kind of a witch hunter type of thing so um, I'm thinking this is going to be some type of loose tie-in with the Witch Hunter from Curse City, uh, or it could be another bleed-off for the new Stormcast army, something more more relative to the Lord Relictor banner that we saw uh, in the first uh, you know, AOS 2.0 starter set. Uh, so I'm going to go around the horn. Steve, what do we think this is, man? Well, if you look at the top of this skull in that picture, you'll notice there's a W. Yeah. And... Obviously, that signifies that this person 
who is deceased was a witch. Ah, yeah. So I totally believe that it has something to do with witch hunters. There has been a long rumored um, army of Azir that is going to be heavily witch hunter focused. So that's my guess. Yeah, I, you know what? I would love that because I thought that 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 witch hunter model out of Curse City was was pretty freaking badass, oh, man. Great. To be honest with yeah, you. they're great. Yeah, I mean, Joseph, what are we looking at here, dude? Yeah. What's your guess? Uh, you know, I'm gonna go out in left field on this one and say uh, maybe something new for Nighthawk. Wow. I think every time you see something dead, it's it's not outside the realm of possibility that it could be some new tormented, suffering soul. You know. Wow, that's kind of cool. All right, yeah, you can you kind of uh, you kind of kind of took me through a loop on that one. All right, Night Haunt, I like it. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Justin, what are your thoughts, man? The city's a Sigmar item. It's going to be the Church of Azure. It's probably going to be either a uh, standard bear, uh, battle bear, something of that matter. That's going to be hoisted high to lead the the priests and things that are coming out of Azure, or it's going to be a terrain piece like a, a pyre or something like that where they burn witches. Interesting. Some. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I, I like it. Chuck, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think this is the new Tomb King model being released. And <laughs> what we're going to see is a complete new lineup, a new battle tome, and a core box set for this new race that they're releasing to us. They're not going to call it Tomb Kings. Uh, it's going to be, you know, obviously IP infringement and things like that. They really have to protect their uh, future investments inside of uh, the Tomb King. No, actually, you know, I, I do believe it will be some type of banner top. Uh, yeah. It does look like it's a caged dead body. If yep. you if you can see it, how it's the iron lining goes around the head, down the outside of the shoulder, but it goes down. So we have a cross beam, uh, sort of at an angle, but it's going to be a caged dead body. And so if it's a witch, it's a witch. But uh, you know, I do think this sort of thing points to uh, the cursed city, the Azir uh, chapter temple, or or what have you. I think. Um, we've sort of been alluding to that, you know, on and off for a while, but, uh, the, the witch hunters from the cursed city box set that does sort of go into that. And I think, uh, the dark times, uh, moving forward is what we're going to see for the humans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I I like that answer. And I'm kind of leaning that way myself. I mean, obviously the W on the forehead kind of lends to that. I kind of was trying to itch at the fact that it might be something cursed city. Uh, but yeah, you know, Housie 1000, he, he throws it in there. Some, some type of heretic they've mounted. Interesting thing before the show, you know, oh. Joseph, you were telling me about a few heretics you mounted in college, right? I mean, you, you were telling me about that story. <laughs> oh, my oh yeah. You know, I play Sinesh. We do that stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sorry. Predatory Endless Spell, man. This is the new thing in the news that popped up. And I thought uh, I, I wanted to talk about this here a little bit because we're starting to see a peek behind the curtain on Age of Sigmar 3.0 that's, that's been happening. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, the interesting thing about this is uh, this is a huge change here gang i mean uh and and of course this was kind of hinted and i remember kind of hearing whispers about this um but this is a huge change to the predatory spells so now we know that uh predatory on the spells move during each each turn now we got that but mm-hmm. who but who get to control them is also changing and this is the biggest thing that i i think is is uh kind of interesting because they they now can be controlled within 30 inches, um, you know, and, and nobody but yourself in your turn can move it. So I think that's a really awesome uh, twist to what we're seeing with these predatory endless spells. So, in other words, having a, having a wizard with a lot of wounds and mobility is becoming super important 
I'm, I'm seeing this. I think Butcher's stock is going to rise. I think things like that are going to kind of go through the roof. And, and also, casting endless spells that are more dangerous will now tax the opponent if they're casting slot uh, of their casting slot. So I think that's something that I think is really going to change a lot of things uh, moving forward. I mean, Joseph, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts here on this, predi- on, on this, on this 19.5.1 uh, predatory endless spell control? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I like it. I think uh, for the, pred- the truly predatory endless spells that affect everybody, I think it's going to make them more active and it's going to make them more what they feel like they should be. Yeah. Um, the only concern that I have is it's going to be really awkward for armies like mine that aren't affected by their own endless spells. How's that going to work? Like, there's going to be an obvious advantage that I have, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, on the surface, that, that is that is the trick, right? I mean, that is the that, that could definitely happen. I mean, unless there's something in the background that we haven't been exposed to yet that could water that effect down or something. But Yeah, definitely too early to call. Yeah, I'm like not sure everything. either. I mean, Steve, I mean, you, you've been, um, like I said, man, you've been in this hobby so long. The first rule book just said bang two rocks together. I mean, you've seen a lot of things with this with this hobby. I mean, what what do you make of this predatory on the spell control new upcoming rule? Everything that I've seen so far that they have revealed of these new rules harkens back to 6th edition Warhammer. Um, I know that we did not have predatory endless spells and that kind of thing back in 6th edition, but what I'm seeing here is that magic is being turned up to a nuclear level and that you are going to see a lot more wizards in armies, as I believe it was Joseph or or Justin was saying earlier. You are going to see wizards in every army. Mm -hmm. You are going to start seeing priests in every army. Right. Oh, yeah. And you are going to start seeing the magic phase, if you will, turn into a whole new important and strategic aspect of the game. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? That's a great point. And you know what's funny, Steve? I go back to when you and I used to talk about after Age of Sigmar uh, first came out, at the end of that Warhammer Warhammer Fantasy Battles 8th Edition End Times, where magic was just like, you know, uh, took 45 minutes aside just, you know, to to get that done. Um, We were happy at the simplicity of the magic. You remember those conversations? Yeah, but I think that what GW is saying here to us is that you are in a world that is dominated by sorcery. So why was sorcery relegated to a virtual uh, buff status instead of an aggressive predatory status? I agree with that. And I think that's exactly what they're trying to go back to. In other words, people used to fear the magic phase because of spells like Dwellers Below. Oh, yeah. And I think that that Purple is what sun. they are trying to go back to. Yeah. They want a magic world to be filled with magic spells that people fear again. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do. I, I like the way you put that. Justin, do you agree with that? I do a lot. The um, the big thing that caught my eye with that whole, uh, the whole phrasing of that was that the spell control is from the wizard that cast the spell. It's from the model that cast or put forth the spell. Right. Right. So this is going to lead to armies having multiple wizards if they're going to be running multiple endless spells, especially predatory ones, because you're going to literally see them following these things 30 inches away going, I control this, I control this, I control this. You can't touch it, take it from me, and it's going to keep moving every turn. And one of the big ones that a lot of people are worried about is um, the, uh, the, the, not the, sorry. What, the soulbound ones? 
just that's the soulbound ones. Soulbound ones are always going to make intriguing control unless they rewrite them, which we know they are going to rewrite some of them. But the yeah. the gloom spike gets his um, spider one. I can't think of the damn name. Scuttle tide. Scuttle tide. People people were worried that this was going to give Scuttle tide double hits because the enemy wizard is going to gain control of it. They're not. It's going to if they they can't touch it because they didn't cast it. Yeah, so, I, th- I think the community is very poised to always. We've seen this over the years, Justin. I mean, come on, man. Every time, every right. time something no, no, like no. this happens, the community uses their artistic imagination, and it becomes this bananas thing. The, you know, the lemmings jump off the cliff before they read all the other subs. Flaming lemmings like jump off the cliff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Chuck, what are your thoughts? Do you think that 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 the the, the endless spells are going to be bananas, or or do you have any? Do you have a comment outside of that on this predatory endless spell control deal? You know, it, de- depending on how it, it all plays out, I don't want to jump off the plateau too soon. I mean, we it for certain armies, we are already kind of seeing uh, the the barrel roll down the hill with spells. I mean, I was playing against Joe over the weekend, and like the first magic phase, it was somewhere between eight and eleven spells because he's got mm-hmm. magic oh, users that yeah. can cast. Yeah. Yeah, Zinch can just that one hero if they get a successful cast and they cast again, then again, then again. So one wizard gets four spells potentially. Um, you've got Slanesh, you've got Teclis. So we see these supreme casters. Uh, my thought process is: is if I have multiple small wizards, can I uh, then control those endless spells that they all cast at the end of their turn and turn them against them? Oh. Uh, so maybe. Maybe this is uh, like Steve was alluding to one of those things where, you know what, I'm going to start taking two priests and two wizards all the time because I'm going to be defensive by controlling the spell in my turn and turn it against them. Yeah. I I mean, Steve, we kind of talked about that a little offline where you talked about you're you're possibly in your soul blight army. You were thinking about taking two of the um, not the corpse carts, but the uh, coven thrones, coven thrones. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's easy for them to target one but it's hard for them to target two. And I know people out there are saying, well, you're a maniac for trying to take 620 points just for two command abilities. Right. But those two command abilities can actually turn the course of the game. Yeah. Because if I can put, if we know we're getting more command points. Oh yeah. We know we're getting more command points. So oh, yeah. Yeah. if I'm able to put a command ability on blood Knight units that gives them a two up by two up, and a two-up armor save, there's just no world where you can tell me that that is not going to be helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So that, that, that does. That kind yeah. of rounds out what, what Chuck was saying uh, uh, pretty good. Right, Chuck? Yeah. I mean, you, people are going to invest a little bit more if this is the case. Yeah. In the magic phase, right? Yeah. Well, here's another one that I want to point out. Uh, this is uh, this is number 20.3.2. Uh, this is the Banishing Invocation <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, uh, piece that came out. And obviously this is the same rule as we have now here, guys, but you can, you can, you can spend your prayer to unbind the summon that. So they're, they're kind of elevating the game here a little bit of, of priests. And here in a minute, we're going to look into a couple of priests prayers that were just kind of uh, unveiled on us um, uh, yesterday, I believe. But let's talk about this here a little bit, guys. I mean, this kind of raises the stock now on priests as well. Uh, Joseph, what are your thoughts when you see this, man? Um, I love it. I think that uh, priests always felt like kind of a non-interactive part of the game where they did things, but you couldn't really counter them and they couldn't really counter you. Now I think they feel like a more interactive part of the experience. Where they're like, you're going to have priest battles like crazy. Daughters you know of Cain is going to 
super exciting. Now. The minute I saw this, I got excited for my Huskard on a, on a Thunder Tusk. The minute I saw that, that right there was the thing for me that I went, you know, all of a sudden, you know, because the Huskard on a Stonehorn, does, they're not a priest, but the Huskard on a Thunder Tusk has that ability. So I thought that that was actually a really cool thing that they're able that they're that they're doing as far as elevating the stock of of those type of characters uh steve what do you think man yeah i think that priests are going to start popping up in almost every new book you're going to start seeing um more totems but specifically priests are going to have a whole new role in in these new battle tomes that are coming out and um you might even see generic priests that are able to be used in other armies, like for destruction or for order. And you will see them in almost every army once people realize how effective they're going to be. Right. Yeah. I, I want to jump in on that, and I want to support Steve and what he's saying, because for the longest time, we have been sort of discussing in the background the Anvil of Apotheosis character build. Mm-hmm. Good point. Well, I think Good if point. that's being put into matched play and I can customize a 100 or 200 point magic user yep. or priest, there you go. And all we need is some models to go with it. Bravo. Chuck, that was a great point, man. You know, Justin, what do, what do you think about that? Um, it's a big answer to a lot of problems with certain armies' invocations as well. I mean, Order has had priests from day one. But they haven't had the ability to turn off things like all of Corn's prayers, you know, shutting down their 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 blood uh, fountain and all that other stuff. Those are all invocations. So now you have a priest run up and go, nope, and turn it off, or yeah. and do the same thing with fire slayers and things like that that have had no answers to those particular abilities. Now there's an answer, and this is a yeah. great change from that. You know, it's funny because, you know, sticking with the whole priest thing, I want to kind of jump ahead here. And, and a couple of 40K terms are sneaking into Age of Sigmar, and that's bless and smite. Uh, these are um, uh, these are these are these are priest prayers. Um, and it's kind of interesting because the bless uh, gives gives uh, ward saves which I think is kind of an interesting wording. We're seeing Ward Save come back into it again from Warhammer Fantasy Battles. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And Smite, obviously, being a 40K term, uh, you can do a little bit of a jab damage at, at a 48-inch range, uh, a la 40K. It's not a killer thing, but it, it, but it, it could uh, knock a couple of wounds off something or somebody that, that you want to get them kind of pulverized on. But I think the bigger picture here is this is what we're seeing here, guys, more so than what these priestly prayers are. We're seeing the two game platforms yes. slow meld together i mean Steve, this is the jump setup in on this, this yep. is the setup right this you're, is you're the getting... setup for either 3.5 or it's going to be the setup for 4.0 i happen to believe that this is going to be one of the shortest versions of warhammer because in my opinion in the next two to three years the two games will be indistinguishable in yeah. terms of their rule sets, yeah, uh, we've been hearing that a lot from from our from our source. Let's put it that way: that uh, they are working on different methods to even bring the mechanics of the two games together. Uh, because let's face it, you know, um, uh, they're they're making a lot of money, and if they can also get a little cross pollination between gaming groups, you know, the 40k and the AOS side, yep. uh, you better believe it. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know was that Warcry and that mechanics that came out in that was more of a test to see how it took to see how things. 
Um, and I, I, you know, so they're uh, they're like mad scientists back there in Nottingham. They're they're mixing and stirring and counting and clicking and chucking dice and and. But we do know that eventually the two games, as far as mechanic wise, are going to mold together. So that's a that that's a spot on point, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah, so, it's happening. Yeah, it it's definitely happening. happened. And anyone who thinks that it's not happening is only fooling themselves. Exactly. These Big two time. great games will be fully integrated rules wise within two to three years, if not sooner. I believe yeah. it's going to be sooner. Yeah, I think your point about saying that third edition is going to be the shortest edition. Yeah, I think we're yep. looking at seventh edition Warhammer 40K here. This thing is going to be shit to a tin horn. I really believe that. So, Joseph, what do you think, man? What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on, on either the, the prayers themselves or the game mechanics and the game philosophies kind of being molded together? Yeah. Uh, you know, mechanically, I think that there are always going to be some distinct differences between the two formats because they, they are so fundamentally different from one another. But if, if they can make them similar enough to make the, the jumping point from one system to the other not as wide of a gap, that's definitely where the money is. Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chuck, do you agree with that? No, um, I am an advocate for keeping the system separate. Uh, I know the aesthetics have sort of blended a little bit, um, but if the rule sets are 80% the same, I'm okay with that because I also play 40K. And so if I wanted to take a break from AOS for six months and play 40K because, uh, I don't know, an orc release comes out. Uh, I'll pick that up. I'll play a couple games. I'll do a one or two tournaments. And I'll get back into AOS six months later. So I think if that's what they're going for, I'm all for it. Right. Um, but I do like having like my fantasy stuff and my future stuff separate. Yeah. Like that. But I can understand why, and, and I mean to cut you off here, Chuck. I apologize, bud. But, but one point I wanted to make, because you're making an excellent point, is it seems like there's a lot of things that have to happen between both games where you got to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bang out the dent and paint to match. And here's what I mean. Take, uh, take damage, for instance, right? So we all know that just like in Age of Sigmar and 40K, Rend is pretty much the same, right? It, it, it affects things, you know, but the damage is what I find interesting because you know that in Age of Sigmar, if you've got something that's damage three, you know, you're going to kill a lot more models in a unit, you know? So, but say, for instance, if you have, say, an Imperial Knight that shoots at uh, a, a unit of guardsmen, you know, that could be, you know, damage four or something, and, and you might kill two guardsmen or something. You know, I, I'm not familiar with the, with exactly the rules, but, dam- but, but see, damage doesn't carry through in 40K like it does in Age of Sigmar. So I think there's some right. things that uh, I think they're looking at a lot of things because it, I think if I'm a 40K person or if I'm an Age of Sigmar person, that could be a, a selling point to have me decide to either play the game or not. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, ah, you know what, I wanted to play 40K, but, you know, I don't really like the way they do damage. Well, that's a real thing. That's what people in the community are are, are talking about. But, yeah, Chuck, spot on point, man. I love it. Uh, Justin, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I kind of agree with Chuck, and I'm, I'm a purist in the sense that the game should be separate rule-wise just because you're completely different realmscapes, you're fantasy and, and sci-fi. Um, I do also take your point into account there as well, Pat, but with the damage system, and I think we're going to see a change to the way the damage is allocated in this rules. We haven't seen any kind of snips or anything to it yet because, again, everything's coming out as, you know, coherency and upgrades to priest and upgrades to magic and, and the stuff that everybody's been clamoring about. Right. Nobody knows what's coming with the damage system or the to wound or the to hit yeah. or any of that because, again, we're looking at these rules like 
you know, Dewey Decimal System, you know, 19.5.1. Well, okay, where's 19.0.0? What's the rule there? What's 19.1.0? You know, yeah. there, there's, there's, you've got an entire area that's, oh, here's pocketbook number 19, and it's got 700.5.6.7s in it. And what are all those in, those interactions going to be? We're yeah, only right. getting snippets. So until we see the book and see how damage is doing, how hitting is going, how the wound is going, what's going to affect the movement, flying, the whole nine yards. Hell, flying's probably got a whole new section by itself. Yeah, right. All right. Well, <laughs> so, let's uh, let, let's keep the news rolling here, man. With the with the one that's really gotten everybody's panty in a wad, and that's this unit coherency thing. Um, I, and, and let me open up with this. And I want to throw this out there to Joseph first, uh, you know, and, and really to everybody. And I kind of want to sit back and kind of take in what you guys have to say about this. Real, real quick uh, shotgun blast on this one, man. I mean, what are your thoughts on the new coherency rule? Chuck, what do you think, man? What's happening with uh, the new coherency rule? So, I mean, basically, it, it, it boils down to maintaining uh, your model within one inch of two other models if it's uh, six or more. So units from like two to five, they're fine. Uh, But if you remove the wrong model, um, we start having to take models off until we get down to coherency or five or less models. So um, if we have our traditional uh, screen out there of one man models that are just back to back or side to side, half inch apart, uh, they're ruined. So I think there are some people on Twitter doing like formations of uh, triangular deployments of your unit. So they're always within two. And I'm just thinking, can we make it? easy let's keep it simple so hopefully there's some clarification on it i hope yeah i, I think what, what what i'm hearing a lot is bye-bye conga lines you know you've heard yes. that right yep. i mean yeah I I, you know steve what are your thoughts man on, on unicoherency you are going to start seeing more chaff units that are going to be on 25s because chaff units are always within uh because of their because of their small base size 25 millimeters, um, right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're going to see a lot of those kind of units popping up. You're going to see zigzag formations. You're going to see the triangular formations. To me, I think this would have been much better if they would have made it within two inches instead of one. And then okay. you have something that's a little bit more feasible. Sure. I think that this is going to cause an untold amount of arguments and hard feelings initially. And then once people learn how to form their units, it'll be fine. Okay. But initially, I think it's going to be disastrous. Oh yeah. For the community, in yeah. terms of it, it's going to be a fist fight in the phone play, booth. In terms of friendly play, <laughs> um, it's going to create those aha, I gotcha kind of moments. And it this is where, and not to drift from this rule, but this is where a community's strength will come into play if you oh. have a strong community and a strong group you will not see people um taking advantage of this rule you'll see people helping their opponent or someone that they're playing with you'll see them helping them teach them say okay. hey you need to put your models like this don't put your models like this that's what a good group of guys is going to do the bad group and this will lead into our subject coming up later on. A bad <laughs> yes. group is going to be the I ha, I gotcha kind of uh, situation. And then you're going to see a lot of bitterness arise from this. Sure. We, uh, I think we need to see the pile in rules. Uh, that's that's yes. I think one of the big questions here. 
And then uh, also, like you said, definitely having a good community that's going to teach you how to do this. But like the competitive scene, uh, the, I think the first tournaments are going to be ugly. They're going to be super ugly. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be now, playing one on. of those first tournaments. Hold on. Hold on. We may, if we're going full sixth edition here, we may see something come back into the game that hasn't existed for a very long time. And Justin knows about this because he's been playing as long as me. Square you bases. start seeing reform. Reform. And if you see wow. uh, a reform after combat like you had in 5th and 6th edition, you may start to see uh, strategies changing. For instance, you might be able to spread out initially and then you might be able to reform and break uh, the normal uh, pylon rules. In other words, if you're in contact with a model, you may be able to reform regardless. If okay. that happens, there could be some very interesting situations. Wow. Well, you know what? Yeah. Let me let me kind of throw my two cents on in this thing because uh, I've been listening to, to you guys kind of kind of throw the topic around here. I mean, unless Joseph, did you, did you have something you, a point you wanted to make to close it out? No, I'm good. I'm going to kind of wheel back, too, to to kind of piggyback off of Chuck's philosophy on it and the way Justin kind of, of, you know, summarized his agreements on it and and Steve kind of tying together 6th edition and, of course, you know, and that that mechanic. And, you know, I like like the the patience point of view that you came with, Justin or Joseph, and kind of saying, I want to see what what the expanded rules are. But here's what I want to say. I want to tie it all together with this. I think we all need to accept, just like we just talked about prior to getting into unit coherency, that the fact that that we're slowly molding with the 40k rules all right and this right here is simply a 40k rule i mean if this happened in 40k and 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 it did not you know it didn't ruin anything i i, I mean this happened I, I heard about this i mean heck i was at the time kind of flirting with the idea of, of being more of a 40k player when, when all of this was happening so this has already happened in that game we're just now getting something that has been happening in 40k for a long time um true i get it i mean no, uh, no, no, no conga lines of old, but uh, you know you, you still can string them out. So I don't think that's lost really forever. I think the heroes become less relevant with with uh, you know champions in the unit now, where they can use command points to, to to keep them from you know failing battle shock. So I think heroes kind of are in kind of a uh, a goofy spot. But I go back and forth with this rule uh, to kind of bring it together with with coherency. You know, to say that these rules are supposed to be simpler and cleaner uh this still sounds a little convoluted you know here's what i'm trying to point out here if a friendly unit is not coherent at the end of a turn or after you set up you must remove the models in that unit from play one at a time until the unit is in coherence uh or just let your or just let your opponent know that their model placement is a bit you know messed up uh, they sort it out, and you both carry on with the game. So yep. to your point there, Steve, I think we're going to see a lot of the uh, chivalry in the community, or you're going to see the short pants go, no, you got to remove you know, six of your models, uh, and, and then you're going to have all this, and here's the word again, negative play experience. I'll be able you know? to walk into any game store, <laughs> I got, I got one and I will be able to see what that community is by simply watching their tables. Right. I will know walking in and anyone will be able to walk into any game store and see the climate of that store by watching those games and seeing how guys are treating each other when it comes to this, because this rule is going to have 
some serious growing pains. Oh, yeah. There's going to be problems from this. But as I stated, if you have a strong community, it will be a helping and a teaching moment instead of an aha, I got you moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just say this real quick. We actually already have this rolling game. There's one army that already has this rolling game. It's not to the extent of removing models, but they have it. The Luminelf Rome Loads with the Shining Host capability yep. is already stuck to this rule. Sure. If they're not, if they do not have the five by five with the dudes zigzag touching two other models, they lose their Shining Host. So this rule is already in game. This is the expansion to it, and it's going to change how things work in terms of how you have to place your your units initially to start to get your advantages. Sure. And, and no. you know, here's the thing. I mean, beyond that, I, I think it's going to I think that's going to be a, a larger change, you know, to, to many armies, specifically three. And I'm not going to get into them. Uh, I might talk about one briefly, but I'm not going to. I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I could see Beast of Chaos being affected by this, uh, Soul Blight being affected by this uh, and, and my beloved Ogre Maw tribes. Uh, and I think that, that that what this does here with them, just to, just kind of not to blinger on this point too much. But I think, say, with the Ogre Maw tribes, this change is going to kill saber units as as a screen. You know, I mean, now, wait a minute, now, wait a minute, 25 millimeter bases. Steve, that's what you said before, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so the hell with the Sabres. You know what this does now? The only option now are Nobblers. Yep. Now, hold on a minute here. This, guys, this right here is the point the Nobblers have been waiting for, to finally step up and usurp their Pat. right, rightful place Pat. here in the game. Pat. No one cares. No, listen. I'm, this is this is good stuff here. This is my moment, Steve. This is where I'm at. I mean, AOS 3.0 will finally be the world of nobblers, guys. I mean, I'm actually, actually going to give you a little bit of, a, of a, a yes, thumbs up on that, simply because what this is going to do is take all those 25 millimeter units and model types that are in every book and make them substantial yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not important right now justin we're talking about oh, now yeah, here. here it is games workshop has finally come to their senses here folks and recognizing the power of those novelers and 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 Someone within that singular box. unit resides the entire existence of this game guys. you take your medication this morning oh, <laughs> i'm telling you guys i mean but yeah 25 millimeters are going to be any any 25 millimeter model is going to become a king in this now because you got picket line formation that's going to be your screens for your big yeah. shit behind it. Yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah. A lot. You know what? Here's the thing, guys. We can beleaguer on this, uh, but I, I think, you know what? Here's the thing. You got, you got, we got, we got two choices here, folks. We either learn how to roll at the punches and play the new game, or we get the hell out and, you know, I don't know, play checkers. That Go sucks. Play Winks. I yeah. think I'm think I'm going to, I think I'm going to stick with this game, uh, but here's, here's, I'm already there. I play cities. Here's <laughs> the last, here's the last bit of news before we, uh, we, we get rolling on the main topic here. We all know that the, the Dominion box set is coming out, and this is that little bit of uh, that little the little nugget, that little dingleberry of uh, of stuff I want to throw out there at you. Now, if you guys listened to the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did tell you that uh, Games Workshop has some high activity dates for their releases, which were the 19th and the 26th of June specifically. Uh, and then Games Workshop followed our suit and told everyone that they were going to be going pre-order on the 19th uh, with a release of the 26th. Um, but now what we do know is that, uh, from, from what our source has been telling us, is that uh, the pricing for the Dominion box uh, is either going to be out tomorrow, Wednesday, 
or the following Wednesday. There are some things that they're trying to work out with uh, deliverables and shipping and customs that are going to determine that. But uh, we do, we have heard that um, the pricing is going to be released uh, Wednesday or the following Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that. And we're telling you right now here, folks, make sure you order that thing the minute it goes live. Because I'm telling you, 20 minutes that thing is on, bang, it's gone. Between the basement-dwelling nerds eating cold meatloaf that got to get their hands on it, the bots, uh, Justin's going to buy six of them, and then Randy, the nicest guy in tabletop wargaming, he's got a whole section of his house ready to fill the whole thing up floor-to-ceiling with those things. So I'm telling you guys, people are going to buy this up like crazy. Don't mess around. Get your sweaty palms on Dominion because this thing is going to be gone, baby, just like we've been telling you since March. And i got to tell you, I'm really kind of happy that we're finally winding down AOS 3.0 because, shit, man, we've been talking about this thing since March. Whew. We have been. It... Yeah. Uh, and for us, it's not really that new. But, you know, we're excited, and I'm really looking forward to it. Even with the changes, uh, I, I, you know, I want to end it kind of on a positive note here that uh, a, lot of, a lot of good stuff is going to be, gonna be uh, uh, happening. And I'm excited for AOS 3.0. Really, really, really. Oh, and, and another thing, this hasn't been confirmed yet, uh, but we are hearing that uh, it looks like a $250 U.S. price tag on Dominion. So extremely reasonable. So, yeah. uh, you know, wh- whatever that uh, converts to, to Australian yen, whatever, I don't know. But U.S., we're hearing 250 bucks. Uh, but that's it, man. We are going to be right back. And we're going to be talking with our awesome guest, Joseph, on casual versus competitive and how to balance the two. Have you figured that out yet, Joseph? We got a lot to talk about, man. Yeah, I got some ideas. All right. Public service announcement brought to you by Frag Factory 3D Printing. Many of us have thousands of dollars in miniatures, yet we play on flat tables with books and overturned Tupperware to act as our fantasy and sci-fi landscapes. We've all drooled over the tables we see in magazines lush with beautifully created terrain from all genres. The crew at Frag Factory 3D Printing want to wipe that drool from your chin and put it firmly on your friends and fellow gamers when they see your setup. Alien landscapes, desert wastelands, futuristic cities, fantasy outposts, elven forests, demonic stronghold, and so much more. Find out what you've been missing by checking us out on Facebook at Frag Factory 3D Printing or send us an email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com. Bring your own files or we will help you find what you've been searching for. Take your gaming to the next level with Frag Factory 3D Printing. We print life into your games. Tell them Grimdark Live sent you and your first hour of printing is free. Hey gang, in all seriousness, get your terrain on the table and get it with Frag Factory 3D Printing. And remember, tell them Grimdark Live sent you and they'll give you one hour free. You can get them via email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com or their Facebook page, Frag Factory 3D Printing. Frag Factory 3D Printing. Printing life into your games. Now... Back to the show. Casual versus competitive, man, and that's what we're going to be talking about here on the show. And, 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 and you know, on the other side of the commercial, we already had Joseph and uh, Justin talking about some 47, you know, Aether Wing, you know, list. I mean, Steve, do you hear this crap these guys are already slinging around? They're already ready to, you know, ruin the topic here tonight, man. Hey, you know what? It'll all work itself out in a matter of months. It it will definitely all work itself out in a matter of months. That that's for damn sure. But you know, I, I think I think that's the thing. We got we got to kind of we got to calm down, man. We got to chill a little bit. But uh, but gang, yes, this is uh, this is the topic tonight: casual versus competitive. And we're going to be talking about you know competitive versus casual gaming styles. 
Uh, we got an awesome guest with us, Joseph. Uh, thank you very much for being with us, man, on this uh, on this topic. Yeah, totally. Thank you for having me on. And I think I think Joseph, one of the things that we're going to kind of be talking about and pitching around is when we talk about competitive versus casual type games how to balance that, how to balance that mentality in your head so that, you know, you, you can have almost those gears as, as a gamer. And, you know, and my thought here to kind of start, start things off in truth being, you know, you know, competitive or casual is really more of a, of a scale, if you will, right. Rather than uh, a twofold situation. I don't, I don't think that they're two identifiable things. I think, I think it's a scale that you have to live by. And when we really slow down and think about this, it, it becomes apparent that, that even very casual players, they have at least some competitive element and vice versa. I mean, I, you would agree that that's pretty much an accurate statement, right? Yeah, I, and uh, to add on to it, I think um, there are some misconceptions that, like, to kind of lay out this conversation we should address is that um, a competitive player means you must have a negative attitude to interact with, and as a casual player, you don't respect the core rules of the game. Those are two things that I think are, are assumptions that float around in the community sometimes but they're not true interesting that's an interesting point that you know and that's kind of a harsh point i'm not trying to put you on the spot early right off right out of the gates joseph but that's kind of a that's kind of a harsh point but that's interesting though i mean steve what are your thoughts on that as far as as far as that type of uh conception or or casual versus competitive oddly enough i don't think it has anything to do with the person's army yeah um I think that you could have an entire group of killers with killer lists, but if they treat each other with respect and are good guys and they enjoy each other's company and the community has a strong, strong moral compass, um, the type of armies you play should be irrelevant. I think that the concept of competitive versus casual is in the mindset of the guys who play the game and really has nothing to do with their armies. You okay. can take any army and tune it down to have a good time or tune it up to wreck face. You don't really have to you, you can make a choice for that for any army. Yeah, but see that that's my whole point about it being more of a scale, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I completely I, I, or having or having gears or whatever goofy analogy I just use. I mean, but uh, but you know, Justin, what are your thoughts? No, I, I I'm listening to what everybody's saying and yeah, there's definitely ways to be casual and competitive at the same time it's it's mindset of the player not the army and you know if you're the best way to put it uh short pants or not you know i mean it's it's you if you enjoy going in and kicking people's teeth then then yeah you're uber competitive and you're probably going to get ousted out of your community pretty quick if you're super casual and just don't care might not be in the in that community as well it's all mindset yeah it's a question of personality right well i I think i think let let me kind of let me kind of uh round it out because i I can see where you guys are going with that point i mean after all i I get it but even the most laid back and story driven of players right are Mm -hmm. still trying to defeat their opponent here guys bottom line which by nature makes them at least somewhat competitive right so i i think i think it's not quite what what is being said here you know and by the same token even the most competitive of players are still trying to have at least some type of fun you know i, I that, that's the way that i i think i think i would like to preface at that i mean steve you're a hell of a lot more philosophical than i am does that make any sense yes it does it, it depends on it really does depend when well, once again i mean i don't sound like a broken record here but it does 
go back to what type of community have you fostered? Right. Because if you have fostered a good community where guys treat each other with respect, you'll see um, killers on the table with killer lists and Mm -hmm. you'll see them laughing and having a good time and relax and having fun. And maybe in some circumstances, if they're doing like a garage game, you know, they'll be drinking beer and having a good time. Beer and pretzels. It is it is incumbent upon the community to police itself. Just like Justin said, those guys are going to find their way out fast enough if if they are getting to the point where they're being obnoxious okay all you have to do to have a competitive game is create two killer lists if you want to if you like having fun like you know playing godzilla with each other if you want to have a good game and be competitive but keep it casual you have to have the right mindset going into it to begin with justin and i often have played horribly killer lists against each other and yep. yet we're always able to laugh and have a good time because to us we're not playing for our souls we're just having a good time <laughs> yeah haven't bet those yet <laughs> yeah and, and you know i want to round back to something that jo- that joseph said here too uh i, I kind of want to tie together what, what you said you know when i, when I kind of claimed that you were being a little harsh which i didn't mean it negatively joseph mm-hmm. but you know competitive style players in the end I, I do agree with you that they simply enjoy the strategic elements far more than the story-driven elements. I, I but but I still think they're having fun. I, I wanted to kind of yeah. make sure that that point came through because here's the thing. And and how do I say this so that I, that I don't come across kind of like uh, wishy-washy? Yeah. But well, we we, we yeah. know we know that this is the case because generally competitive Age of Sigmar isn't a viable way to make a living. Okay, and end of the day, which leaves fun as the only realistic option uh but but having fun while you're playing isn't always how gamers go you know what i mean yeah that, that's kind of what that's my, the point uh, i was trying to make yeah my point about misconceptions was that it's not true that if you're a competitive player that you're a jerk on the tabletop and it's okay. not true that if you're a casual player that you don't respect the rules or understand them totally neither agree. of those things are true they're assumptions that other people make but they're not true Okay. Uh, could it be true of some people? Sure, but not the majority of people. Okay. Right now. The, 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 let me throw a question at you that that we're gonna we're also gonna pitch to to, to Steve and Justin. And by the way, folks, uh, uh, Chuck had to jump off. Uh, you know, he um, uh, he just had life, man, and he had he had to roll with it. But but I want to throw this out there while it's fresh in my mind to you, Joseph. Um, mm-hmm. So if if casual players, okay, are at least partially competitive, uh, and competitive players are still having fun. What it what what does that mean for the whole scenario? Casual versus competitive. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of what it means for the scenario is there's a difference between I'm putting something fun on the table and I'd like to win, but I'm also really just trying to have a good time and interact more with the narrative or the lore. Versus I'm going to put this list together and I know what you have on the other side of the table and exactly how I'm going to break it down and destroy it in 30 minutes or less. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are sir, there are levels, kind of like you were talking about. Okay. I mean, Steve, do you agree with that? Yes, I do. Right. I agree with a hundred percent with what he said. Okay. Justin, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's no black and white when it comes to those. It's it's so many layers of, sh- of subtle grays. I mean, you could have somebody who says they're a competitive player, um, but then you have the next person who's the extreme competitive. You know, where they all they do is they stack their deck basically to kill you in 30 minutes or less, like Joe's saying. But then you have you can have, you know, a guy who builds a balanced list and 
tries to check all the boxes, like we've said several times over, that, you know, they play competitive, they're checking those boxes, they're making sure they can do something in every phase. And then you have the casuals who's just like, hey, I'm just going to throw this stuff on the table because it's what I own, it's what I want to play. I mean, that could be the lazy, that could be the lazy low end cash. And then the ones that have actually constructed a list and saying, you know what, I'm going to see what it can do. So it's multiple upon multiple layers. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I like on the boards here how Housey 1000, you know, said, you know, free coaching and getting a lot of games in with new players to ensure a great play experience. Yeah, man. And it goes back to what Steve, you just said, as far as the community, we're really responsible for uh, uh, ensuring that, that, that we can have that balance between competitive yeah, and casual. Yeah, um, you, you have to be a, uh, a people watcher especially mm-hmm. if you're one of the leaders, you know, one of the community leaders in your particular group. And by leader, I mean, you know, you, you take, take the initiative when you see something, you know, hinky going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, years ago, we used to refer to certain types of gamers as the every friend and the every friend gamer was the guy who comes in and pretends that he's just Mr. Friendly. And, you know, he just wants to play and have a good time. And then they whip out the killer list and you see the real person come to the surface. We used to call them the every friend because they were phonies from the very beginning. Sure. But they would come in posing as a casual, but actually being a killer. Okay. Now, we didn't have a problem with that if, if, if they were open about it. If you came in and you said, hey, you know, I, I want to play rough games. I want to play killer games. No problem. We can turn it up if we have to. Sure. But once again, it goes back to community policing. If you know and you see these types of gamers coming in, you need to be you need to be cognizant of that, and you need to watch watch how they're interacting with the guys in right. your community. Yeah, and that goes right. back to what you said as far as as the community really is responsible for that. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. No, yeah. no competitive power player type gamer, no killer, can come into your community unless you let them. The- I want to piggyback a little bit off of what he's saying there. The the best games that I've ever had are against players that are right in the middle of casual and competitive. They can step up or step down based upon who they're playing and treat that person with respect. You know, they come in right at that level and they know they can make killer lists, but they can also play those casual games if they need to, especially in a teaching situation or, you know, dealing with somebody who's, the short pants that's out there. It's like, okay, I need to step up to deal with this guy, kind of knock him down a peg maybe, or I need to step down and play casual because we're teaching this person who just joined the hobby. Okay. Those are the best gamers I've ever had games about. Yeah. Against. The ones that can go both ways easily and not have problems with what they're doing. True. True. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think, I think, go ahead, Joseph. Sorry about that, bud. Oh yeah. You know, just to jump in, you know, real short is I think that ultimately this game, regardless of what camp you fall into, is social it's it's in person and you have to honor the social contract and honestly that's one of the things that i like about armed forces day is that you you integrate that somewhat into the rules how are you treating the person on the other side of the table yeah it's important we, we say it here on the show all the time man i mean the social contract to gaming I mean, it's even in our little songs, you know, at the, at the end of the show. I mean, we, we, we talk about that all the time because we mean it. Um, but, you know, to kind of get back to the topic here is when I think I think when people think of casual, right, uh, they usually think of a gamer that has a theme, right, a theme army or just loves the lore or something Lottie frickin' da like that. And um, to me, that that isn't always 100% cor- uh, correct or even a 100% absolutely not true. correct definition. Absolutely not true. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it's it, as as some competitors also 
you know, that I know of have a themed army or avidly follow the, the newly shaped realms that Games Workshop has crafted for Age of Sigmar, yep. all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, uh, Steve, you're actually one of the guys that actually, um, I think is a great definition to that. But I think I- instead we should we should view casual as I said before, as, as, as one end of a scale with that end of the scale representing the desire to play AOS in a way that is accurate to the actual worlds and realms. And in other words, they aren't looking at playing a, uh, what's the word that we always talk about, Steve, mathematically optimized list, right? Um, yeah. You know, so no, much no. That, that, that they want their army of, say, Gloomspite gets to accurately reflect a, a typical Gloomspite gets force should have looked. I mean, you, you guys kind of know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, Most of my armies, when I build them, they're based around a narrative or a theme. Right. Uh, Oddly enough, I mean, you know, I I should be playing probably more narrative games, but I love creating lists like my Soulblight Vampires. You know, I wanted to create a Templar Vampire Knight list. Right. That's a themed list. And I, but I can play that at any level. Sure. I don't have to play that. I don't have to be super crazy playing that. I don't have to be super competitive. I can play a casual game with that and have no problems. Right. It once again, like I said, it goes back to what your perspective is of the game, your army and your community that you play within. Right. All three of those things together working in unison create a good community. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it also comes down to kind of like, why did you get into the army? Uh, The same way that you feel about soul blade. That's the whole reason that I got into Slanesh. Uh, I love the aesthetic. I love the lore and those two things kind of propelled me to motivate me to learn the army. And later I discovered it was hot shit, but I got into it because I loved how it looked and I liked all the story behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I like the fact that, that, that we're migrating from the, from the one end of the scale. So this leaves us now to the competitive. When we kind of talked about the casual gamer and some of the misconceptions there, but now that we are, we're kind of leaning more towards the competitive end of the scale. Most people think of a competitive player, they typically think of somebody that, you know, that, that plays a lot of tournaments or, you know, someone that spends a lot of time trying to mathematically optimize their army list in some way. And, 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 and Joseph, I'm going to throw this out there to you first and then to, to, to Steve and, and Justin. I mean, what is a competitive type player to you? Mm. Um, you have to throw it out, I guess, if we're throwing it out to me first. A competitive player, I mean, we're, we talk a lot about math. Um, and I think this is one of the hardest pills, certainly for me to swallow as I've been getting better and better and better at the game is that math is only a very small fraction of what affects the tabletop. And it's so much more about your decisions, your ability to maintain a calm and collected mindset and demeanor and to be able to adapt to what's happening around you. There's so much more to it than just math. All right. I I like that. I like that. Steve, what's a competitive player to you, man? Um, It's kind of like a mechanic or an artist with a tool. If you have a paintbrush, it's quite an unremarkable tool. It's just simply a piece of wood with a metal binding that's holding horse hairs together. Sure. And it's a very unremarkable tool unless it gets into the hands of an artist. And then you can have something like, you know, the Sistine Chapel. So when you're talking about a gamer, a gamer is in many ways like an artist. Sure. What kind of picture you paint on that table is entirely up to you. If you are a good artist, you're a bad artist. If you want to paint, you know, whether you want to paint stick men or you want to paint, like I said, the Sistine Chapel, 
you have that capability with your army if you understand it and you use the tools of your army. Like I said, anyone can pick up a wrench, but sure. it takes a mechanic to repair something. It takes an artist to paint a beautiful picture. All right. I, I mean, Justin, what do you think, man? Are, are competitive players they more of a, to you, are they more of an artist, mechanic? Uh, it depends what do they on do? the level. It depends on the level. Because, again, I'm going to go back to what I said where there's multiple levels of what people consider competitive. So to feed off of Steve, you would have somebody who says maybe is competitive in a narrative aspect and paints their army to be to the nines, the hobby champ of the world, you know, and they, they build their whole list around that aesthetic. And that may be their competitive nature, their high competitive nature. You have the ones that are the meta chasers, the ones that will math out the entire thing and min max their units to be killers on the table with every dice roll they throw. And then you have the competitive ones that throw the list together that do both. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge sway of what competitive means to the person that's putting that stuff on the table. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So I, I guess, I guess if I can throw my, my piece in there, I, I think, I think we should, we should think of a competitive player as someone who is concerned about making their list as mathematically efficient as possible. Um, in other words, you know, to me, I, I think that they're trying to make the best list possible under the game system of, say, Warhammer Age of Sigmar. I mean, you, you, know, you know what I, what I mean? I, I think that's a competitive player. They're not actually going out there like the misconception to slaughter somebody in front of them, but they're trying to make the most optimized and efficient type of, uh, of, of, of a list, right? And I think, I think one of the beautiful things about, you know, thinking about this so-called casual competitive relationship is the way that it allows for a player to be in multiple uh, gamer mindset places at the same time. Um, I think in, in, instead of it being in an either or scenario, we know we, we, we can now kind of um, take that player out of that 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 place or liberate them really to a place themselves where they want to be um, depending on the situation. You know, for instance, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of stumbling over my words here a little bit trying to explain it. But for instance, if they're local games, they can be playing in like a local game store, like a game storm, our home store. We can be playing a more laid back and thematic force for, say, our favorite faction. And then we can head off to an event, say, like Michigan GT this year. We're heading up there um, with, say, their Zeech spam or their KO boat bomb lists and just, you know, kill everybody. Uh, but but I think it always go all always goes back to that that efficiency and that flexibility in the list. Like you and I were talking one day at a war meet, Joseph. You remember that? That's kind of how this whole conversation spawned. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think this type of gaming flexibility has a, a great side effect, which is removing the rather uh, unfriendly us versus them mentality that unfortunately <laughs> rears its head during these types of conversations. But that, that's kind of my thought on um, the, the whole competitive versus casual type of type of piece and, and how to and how to balance that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, good deal. I'll tell you what we got. Uh, we got more coming up. Uh, with uh, with that. Hey gang, I wanted to take a break in today's show to introduce one of our sponsors and a great store for all of your hobby needs. That's GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Open seven days a week, 12 to 12. GameStorm Gaming has got you covered for all of your hobby and gaming needs. They got Magic the Gathering, War Machine, X-Wing, Game of Thrones, Force of Will card game, PC gaming and repair, Warhammer 40K, and Age of Sigmar. 
and a ton more. Grab paints, brushes, cases, dice, and a lot more at GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Stop in and see John and the gang there at GameStorm Gaming, located at 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, or check them out on their website at GameStormGaming.com. Again, that's www.GameStormGaming.com. They also stay open past midnight for special cases and events. So get over there and get your nerd on with GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, 630-243-9330. Again, that's GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois. GameStorm Gaming is a proud sponsor of Grimdark Live. We hope to see you there. Hey, you Grimdark goons, thank you so much for joining us on the show. But hey, if you're new to the Grimdark Live experience, please don't forget to subscribe, follow, and like our show. This way you'll always know when it's time for Grimdark Live. And if you're a returning listener, thanks for being back. We love all you dice, chuck, and glue, sniffing gamer goons. Also, please recommend us to your friends, as Grimdark Live is a great show to get your nerd on every week. And if you like some after-ear action, give our podcast a listen after the live show. The podcast is typically published a couple of days after the live show. The link to the podcast is in the show notes below. And if you're already listening to our podcast, you rock, man. And if that ain't enough for you, check out our website at www.grimdarklive.com. Again, that's grimdarklive.com. All right, now let's get back to the show casual versus competitive and how are we going to how are you going to balance those two things so you can have a, a healthy community but yeah here we are uh, continuing the talk here on conversations um, uh, competitive versus uh, casual gaming styles with our awesome guest joseph venables let's keep it rolling here joseph so hopefully you know these these comments and discussion points here on grimdark live have you all out there uh, not just us here because some of the things these guys have said have got me kind of thinking in the background here as well but i think i think some of the things we've talked about have you all out there also rethinking the way that you approach the concept of being casual versus competitive and ideally how you might refer to both types of gaming styles and again i, I don't think it's two things i think it should be a scale or a set of gears that every game gamer has but most importantly though it's important not to demonize uh, one another over you know discussions of how casual uh, or or competitive somebody is because um, you know let's say you just got a hyper focused person that's a really nice nice guy I mean we've known plenty of gamers like that but I mean Joseph you, you kind of know what I mean it, it, it's an easy thing to demonize people and categorize people on yeah I think I think so and I think where the the problem like, like if we're talking about this in, in terms of it being a problem or what the problem is um, I, I think it's like when you have a, a casual or competitive format. And you have somebody who walks into that format, mm-hmm. but psychologically can't make the adjustment and gets frustrated as a result. Like you walk, if you're competitive and you walk into a, into a casual format and you don't know how to just calm down and have a good relaxed time, or you walk from a casual into a competitive and you're getting frustrated that people are wiping you off the table in 15 minutes, you have to make that adjustment. Right. You know, and, and I think, I think that's a well point that you a well said point that you just made and but with that said though here joseph i mean i think we also need to address the elephant in the room here and and that's talking about the you know again we talk about competitive versus casual game styles you need to talk about and need to notice that win at all cost or or we call whack uh players 
and 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 I don't think they they they've been addressed yet in this conversation. I think we've kind of touched on them, um, but I think that's something that that we have to look at because those are the what we always talk about is the short pants here on the show. You know, I think I think a competitive player and a win at all cost player are two different things. Um, I think a win at all cost player is a short pants, and they're not competitive; they're just jagoffs. Yeah, but it's, it's a personality defense. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think uh, whack type players, you know, win at all cost type players, will will generally, uh, I think they're placed on the far far side, pardon me, of the of the competitive spectrum that we were just talking about, and even in general, whacks are, but what's that? Top of the scale. Yeah, but uh, but but it, but it, but I I could I could not be further from the truth when when I think about that that whack players are players that literally break the social contract that two players agree upon when they sit down to play a game to help them win the game. I mean, guys, you, you hear us talking about uh, the, the short pants here on the show, and the reason why that's a shtick is because of uh, an individual that I ran into a long time ago. But, Steve, I, I need you to real quick, and I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but you've ran across a few uh, whack players in, in your life, right? Yeah, um, more than I share or more than I, than I deserved. Well, um, you got to tell at least one story. <laughs> oh, well, no, I don't think that would be appropriate. Okay. For, uh, All right. <laughs> but I will say this. I think that a competitive player is a puzzle solver by nature. They want to find the shortest path to solving the puzzle. And in, and in that metaphor, it would simply be the victory. So I don't think they're bad people. I think they're puzzle solvers. Sure. They, they want to figure things out. Okay. A lot of them are, are deep thinkers and mathematicians, or they are what we would refer to as type A people. They sure. want it. They want to solve things. Right. The casual gamer can be like the competitive gamer, but the casual gamer knows when to stop trying to solve the puzzle and go order a pizza. Okay. And that that's mm-hmm. kind of the that's kind of what makes the casual gamer a, a, a more enjoyable opponent because okay. they know when to stop. Sometimes a competitive player doesn't know when to stop. Okay. And that's where they run into trouble. Now where that line crosses is when that puzzle solver says, "I am going to solve this puzzle no matter the cost." Mm-hmm. And when they do that, they turn into a whack player. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the, the I, ever the, the every friend type guy, right? Yeah, the every friend is the most is the most dubious because they come in um in a in a very insidious way and try to pose themselves as as, as the casual gamer when in fact they're the exact opposite. And we used to be able to spot the every friends um immediately because they would be abnormally friendly to people that they don't know. Right. And, right. and I'm not talking about a person who's just being friendly. I'm talking about a person who's being duplicitous sure. and deceptive. And and we and we could spot them a mile away. Okay. The, the, the more experienced gamers could always spot them a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph, yeah, what were you going to say to that? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that when we're talking about that whack player, there is something ulterior going on with that person that has yep. absolutely nothing to do with the game. Yep. Interesting. You know, I like the way you put that because it, it does kind of put a kinder twist to it. I mean, this could be something as simple as taking a list that would be, you know, maybe it's maybe they're, they're they, maybe they don't recognize the depth of their own list. I mean, this could be something as simple as taking a list that would be far more competitive and using it 
in a casual game, or or maybe it is the ever the the what did you call it the ever friend the every friend uh, that's malicious, uh, or or the people that are cheating. It's it's interesting to me that when we talk about a competitive gamer, how all of those traits can be lumped into one bucket and kind of stirred up and everyone's like, well, that's a competitive player that we automatically assume those people are short pants or jag offs or something, no, something not, like that. Because 90% of the guys in our group are competitive players. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is, is that we don't mistreat each other. Right. We, tr- we, tr- we are friends with one another. We treat each other with respect. We sometimes have rules disputes. That's fine. Every group has a rules dispute, but we work it out. We right. don't we don't let our friendship be a casualty in the discussion. Okay. And that's the difference between a group yeah. that has cohesiveness and a group that is disjointed. Mm-hmm. All right. All one right. Of, so- uh, one of my groups has a phrase. Don't club baby seals. OK, Just don't do it. Yeah. So, Joseph, I'm going to throw this out there to you. And I want, I want to kind of throw what I'm thinking right now as a fair statement in my mind, and you tell me if, 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 if you agree with it or not. Mm. Okay, so although their lists are competitive, right, a whack player could use a competitive list as, a, as really simply speaking, as a, as a means to an end, right? An easy victory, yeah. right? Whereas, say, a competitive player, notice how I separated the two, a whack player and a competitive player, they seek to optimize their list and gameplay to further their skills. So I, th- I want to tie together too, kind of what Steve was saying. Do you agree with that? Is that a good way to differentiate the difference between a whack player and a competitive player? Yes. Uh, yes. A, a whack player will try to find the cheesiest, most broken thing that they can to, in essence, get around actually having to play the game. I'm going to do this one thing and I'm going to do it every time and it's going to shut you down and I don't have to play the game because it's so busted. Versus somebody who's actually competitive and trying to understand and play in every phase of the game. Right. You appreciate the game in its entirety. And you're not just trying to find that one broken thing. That's probably not going to be around for very long if it's as powerful as you think it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I like the way you put that because I oftentimes I think that, that whack players, you know, they can be bad for a community. I'm just going to say that. And I, and I think in an extreme yeah. cases cause issues at events you know if they're if they're cheating or trying to expand upon uh yeah. their little craziness well they're cancerous yeah. they're well, cancerous yeah. to any community that they get their claws into yeah. right. and, and they're also and, just they're just not very good players i mean what what happens when that one thing that you need to do to to win in your mind doesn't happen they fall apart because they yep. don't actually know how to play the game yeah yeah. I mean, Justin, you, you've played a lot of games and you've been around the, the block quite a bit as far as tournaments as well. I mean, is it true or is this a true statement in your mind that most competitive players actually have an issue with the whack players? Oh, yeah. I've had my own issues with them. I was playing, I believe, uh, one of the first Adepticons uh, when they first came in. And we had a group of power gamer whack players that were friends and the way they went about winning their games was they when they got played against each other one the one that they wanted to win they forfeited the game out ah so they so they were they would basically cheat the points by oh well okay i'm gonna stand here for three four turns let you hit me at range or whatever and then i'm so weak by the time the end of the game is it's basically a forfeit sure you know i mean that's that's the kind of whack players i've run into i've run into ones that are you know, one-sided, one-trick ponies, like Joseph said. You know, it's it's just, and all the years I've been doing tournaments, you get you get every shade under the rainbow, basically. Sure. And okay. when you run into that 
one that's that dark black shade that just wants your soul at all costs, that's that's when you just don't have fun with the tournament. And usually you either want to pack it in day one or you're just you just don't. Yeah, enjoy you're, talking about, you're, you're talking about you're referencing like just a just a really evil bad person, right? Yeah, okay. pretty much. So I, I guess I guess with this out of the way, uh, it, it's really time, I, in my opinion, right now, to, to kind of shift gears and, and look at what makes an army or unit competitive or not, because I think that's also mm-hmm. part of it. I mean, right. because I, I think as players, um, we we we're, we're directly responsible into the the concept of balancing competitive versus casual type of uh, type of play styles, and. How do I, I guess the best way to put this is Age of Sigmar has hundreds of different units, and yet only a small handful of them are considered, and I'm doing the air quotes here, considered uh, competitive. I think the obvious question here is why? I mean, why do we look at one set of units and say this is competitive or that's competitive and another one? I mean, I know a lot of people are, are War Scroll junkies and they want to read that, but um, I think broadly speaking, and I'm going to throw this out there to you guys, after I make this point, there, there are two reasons to consider a unit competitive. Uh, by some metric, it's 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 extremely points efficient, or alternatively, it's a very powerful support or synergistic type of a piece. These definitions are very vague on purpose, I think, um, since units don't exist in a bubble. Sometimes units, you know, become highly competitive only when uh, taken alongside a powerful support synergy piece like a hero or something. In, in addition, by some other metric, it's also vague as the metric that a unit is efficient by depends on the metric we want to run with. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I guess let me throw it out here to you, uh, Joseph. Uh, for example, can, consider, you know, I don't know. I'm going to make this up here. Since, since, we, since we all love Anvil of Apotheosis, I'm going to make up a character here. Uh, but but consider this an imaginary unit that has say a one in every stat, including including its movement. Right, it only moves one inch, no abilities, and has say a seven plus save. I don't know. I'm making this shit up. At first glance, this unit seems pretty freaking horrible. However, if if it were say a battle line choice and it only costs say one point per model, you know you can get a a a, a twenty man unit for twenty points. Um, we would have an extremely competitive unit. I mean, my 300 Nobbler army is proof of this successful type of build method. How do you engage or look at units in a competitive or non-competitive piece? When you look at a unit, what are some things that you look for to say, is this, is this going to help me win? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, to answer that question, I, I think about my battle tome as a whole, and then I look at the war scroll, and I try to determine if this war scroll, this individual unit, is going to play well into the macro core components of my army and the micro decisions that I have to actively make on the tabletop. Like to talk about Slanesh for a second, um, Bliss Barb Archers, Bliss Barb Seekers. Their stat profile for ranged is decent. It's respectable. It's not going to blow whole units off the table. But when it comes to like my depravity mechanic, shooting is something that my army has never had access to until now. The fact that I can take a turn one and start maxing my depravity across the board is going to pay off in leaps and bounds down the line. So something like that, you can lean into it. It's points efficient. It accomplishes a specific goal in my battle tome. It's great. Okay. I, that's that, that's, a, that's a, actually a really engaged and well thought out 
way you look at your war scrolls, man. That's pretty freaking cool. Um, but, you know, Steve, so I'm going to throw this to you now because i, I got to be honest with you. And, Steve, you and Justin are two very, very different list builders. But, you, Steve, you build lists that almost cut like a razor blade. So I want to ask you, how do you look at those units as far as the competitiveness synergies when you build your lists? What I do is I look at units that support the phase that I'm most comfortable in. And some people are more comfortable in the magic phase. Some people enjoy shooting more. I like fighting. Okay. I, I look at a unit and say, what can this unit do in the combat phase, which is where I flourish. Okay. The phase that I enjoy the most out of the different sequences of the game. Okay. Big stick policy. Yeah. I mean, uh, what I do is I take, I take the, the war scroll. I look at what their sub-allegiances can do. For instance, in the vampires, I'm looking at their their dynasty, the Castelli, and how that benefits my blood knights in battle. Okay. Because blood blood knights can be very unremarkable outside of the Castelli dynasty, but you put them in the Castelli dynasty, and all of a sudden now they're hardcore gangsters. So that's how I look at units when I'm selecting them for my army. I also look at the aesthetic. Um, when I build an army, I'm telling a story. And I think Joseph is, is, is another person who I often see doing this. And oddly enough, he's on the show tonight. Um, or is that ironically? Uh, he's, he's a storyteller. When I look at Joseph's army, he's telling me a story. When you look at my vampires, I'm telling you a story. You're looking at them and you're saying, oh, it's a Crusader Templar vampire army. When I look at Justin, another case of irony, when I look at Justin... Justin is often telling the story. Some gamers don't care about that. Some gamers don't think about that. But I am one of those gamers that, that actually do. I When I put together an army, I want to tell a story to my opponent. This is a Crusader Templar army. What I do with it, that's incumbent upon me. But when I select units for a for an army, it is always based on what they are going to be able to do in my favorite phase. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, you have to have an army that's more well-rounded to be able to support all of the phases to be successful. Sure. And that that is absolutely not true. Right. I agree with that. Because if that is the case, then how is it I have a giant army that's 19 and 0? That's true. And all they do is fight. Yeah. Yeah, and what, six models on the, on, on the table or something? With six models, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's what phase you feel the most comfortable in, for me, this is just for me, and then build the army around that phase. It is not always going to be successful for everyone. Like I said, what what I can do with it may not be what you can do with it, and vice versa. I'm not a, I'm not a spell slinger. I'm not a person who enjoys the shooting phase that much. So... Someone like a Joseph may take that phase and say, hey, I'm going to flourish in this phase. I know Justin, Justin, like it's like Christmas morning when Justin gets the shooting (laughs) phase. (laughs) Justin, it's like it's like he gets up and he runs down and he's got his brand new G.I. Joe playset when he gets downstairs (laughs) when it's the shooting phase. Justin, what do you you have to say to that, man? (laughs) Not every list I build is shooting. Jesus. Okay, Justin. <laughs> all right, ninety-nine out of a hundred. All right. They do have yes, ninety-nine out of a hundred have guns or some form of bow in them. Yes, I'll give you that. But that's you. That's <laughs> the that's, phase that you flourish in. I I do flourish in 
shooting and magic phages more than I do close combat, but that's because of the the the, the base army that I love to play off of, which is the Cities of Sigmar, and there's just so many interactions there that I build thematically first, and then I say, okay, how do I make this theme fit with the units I have available? Which, to GW's credit, the cities have got, you know, a hundred different units they can put into any one list. Sure. So, sure. It, yeah. it's, it gets tricky in that regard. Yeah. You know, with the, with the last army I just did for Armed Forces Day, I went for a... Uh, for Amogard with the old pirate kind of theme in place. So everything was based on privateers and their bounty from the sea and all of that stuff. So that kind of limited where I was pulling my models from. And I had huge range I could pull from. I mean, I could have pulled from technically the Daughters of Cain. I could pull from Stormcast Eternals. I could pull from Sylvaneth. I could pull from anywhere. But because of my theme, I stuck with the Scourge Privateers, the Draconis Serpentis, and things of those matters because it fit what I was doing. Mm-hmm. All right. Did I put together a fairly decent list this last year? Yeah, that was all right. It could be better, but hey, I had fun with it. Right. Well, it I, totally I, depends on the army. It, well, and and that's and that's exactly right, Joseph. That's exactly right. But I think oftentimes, you know, units are competitive. Um, are competitive for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, some of which can be unclear at first glance. When I think when contemplating the competitiveness of a unit, make sure that you take the proper time to consider how the unit is efficient and what support pieces are available for it. At least those are the things I look for mm-hmm. when kind of, de- kind of you know working to justify how I want to put an army together. And, and I think that really wraps it up for today, gang. I mean, I think that really kind of wraps up the kind of the, 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 the how to balance that casual versus competitive type of gamer and what to look for, not only in yourself, your mentality, but also in the units. I mean... Joseph, anything to, to, to wrap us up on this topic? No, I, I think that pretty much covers everything outside of, uh, I think it depends on the army. Yeah, right. And certain certain armies are very good at operating very well and crushing it in one phase. Certain armies are really good at being able to play in every phase and having all of those phases be purposeful to an ultimate competitive goal. Sure, sure. I like it. All right, man, well, coming up, we got the question of the day. Hey gang, I really hope you're enjoying the Grimdark Live show so far. Thanks for being with us. But before we get to the question of the day, I want to ask you to head over to GrimdarkLive.com to enter the Nerd Bunker by becoming a supporter of the show on Patreon. There are six different levels to fit the support you may be interested in, and all provide special benefits and services to our members. So please head over to GrimdarkLive.com and become a patron of the show. And while you're on GrimdarkLive.com, you should know that Grimdark Live isn't just there for entertainment. We're a full-time miniatures assembly and painting service. We have three different levels that we currently paint to, and we provide free quotes. So let us know if you have something you need painted, and we'll get it done for you. And if Patreon or painting isn't something you're ready to do at this time, we totally understand. And thank you for spending time with us here on Grimdark Live. So with that said, let's get to the question of the day. The question of the day. So here it is, man. We're going to throw this to our guest, Joseph, first, man. We're throwing him right in the barrel on this one. So, Joseph, here's the question of the day. Will the new rule 
for unit coherency be a powder keg for disputes in games, or will it be a minor adjustment to gameplay that will only cause initial growing pains? Um, I'm definitely leaning towards the latter on that one. Uh, I think a lot of people are jumping the gun on some of these new rules because we don't have the full picture. But uh, what people are forgetting, because we all like to think about things in the context of ourselves first, because that's who it affects. But it's affecting your opponent, for the most part, just as much as it's affecting you. You're both going to have to grapple with it. You're both going to have to figure it out. And ultimately, it's just going to be a, a mostly seamless transition, and we'll all be on the same page eventually. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, Justin, what do you think, man? Will the new rule for unit coherency be a powder keg for disputes in games, or will it be a minor adjustment to gameplay that will only cause initial growing pains? I, I don't believe so. I, I think it, we're looking at we're looking at a rules change that is pretty much that was designed to eliminate conga lines, or as some people put it, the rat tail effect, where you have a block of things and then the tail going out to an objective or to a hero that gives them advantage. Because we saw that with the Holy Within 12 and Holy Within 16 and 18 rules that have been plaguing every book coming down. So I don't see it as anything in that regard. Okay, you got to be one inch away from two models and you got a one inch reach. Well, we don't know what the pylon rules are. We don't know what the charge mechanic is. We don't know if you're going to have wraparound where, like we used to, where if you win the combat, you get to put extra models to the flanks and or eventually to the rear. We, we don't have any of that picture and I think once once we start seeing, you know, what is it, 1.3.4.5.6 and all the explanatories on how that coherency is going to be used for charges and, and damage removal, it, it, everybody's going to be like, oh, it makes sense. Okay. Steve, what are your thoughts, man, on the closing thought? What's your answer? I think within our own community, it's going to be just fine. We're not going to have any problems. I right. think in the greater community, it's going to be a huge issue uh, for a while. And then I think that everything's going to calm down. People are going to learn how to design their units so that that doesn't happen. And it'll work itself out and it'll be just fine. Right. You know what? I, I got to look at this. I, I think this is a total uh, who moved my cheese moment here. Remember that old book uh, about, about change, about adapting to change? You know, who moved my cheese? I think that's what we're seeing right here. Um, you know what? If you're not changing, you're dying. And, you know, what's what's the alternative? You know, you can quit. You can take your dark elf army and light it on fire. You can be one of those, you know, whack jobs. But, um I think, you know what, how about this? How about getting the book, sitting down and reading it, and, yep. uh, and, and, and making up your mind that, you know, all this time and effort and everything you put into this, uh, this hobby and this community is actually going to be something that you want to um, uh, enhance, experience something new. I don't know. I, I look at it this way. You know, when I first saw him, I'll admit, you know, nobody likes change. I was, you know, it curled my hair a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, I was like, okay, you know what? This is a new challenge. I'm going to take this on. And uh, and I'm going to I'm gonna see if I can't uh, adapt to this. You know, change or die, man. I mean, if not, you can always give checkers a chance, I guess, something, right? Monopoly, maybe, you know, life, something. I don't know. All right. Um, well, we got the closing thoughts, and we're going to throw it to our guest, Joseph. Joseph, it's all you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just to round out the show, I guess it's uh, my closing thoughts are with uh, with a new addition on the horizon. We all have an opportunity to learn and master what is essentially a new game. Uh, I think if you're just coming into Sigmar and this is going to be your first time going in, you're going to have a little bit of an advantage because you're, you're going to have a clear and a fresh mind and you're not really going to have a lot of knowledge about what came before. But uh, we've been playing the same game for going on three years now. I completely welcome the changes and I think it's... Uh, 
it's good to embrace the idea and the concept of being a newbie again, figuring it out. And it's going to be fun for everybody. I love it, man. I like the concept of being a newbie. That just sounds that just sounds great, man. Well, that's it, man. That's a wrap, and that's the end of the show. And all the Grimdark goons, and I'd like to thank uh, our guest Joseph, the, one of our better Grimdark goons, right here, and all of our listeners for another great show. And we look forward to having you back next time. We discuss all things related to dice, dragons, demons, and dwarves in the Warhammer world. So please don't forget to join us. Not next Tuesday, not the following Tuesday, gang. We are going to take a, a long-needed break. So. Um, you know, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, man. We are going to be back on the 29th of June, um, coming off of Armed Forces Day Tournament. And uh, normally at this time, you know, after uh, a series of shows, we do take about a week, but we're going to take an extra week and just kind of uh, recharge our batteries and uh, and really kind of soak up the new edition that's coming down the pike. You know, uh, you get the pre-orders and get all that in, and then you'll be back to, uh, you won't be able to get rid of us then. But, yeah, we'll be back on the, uh, the 29th to uh uh to, to entertain you again so please don't forget to give our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so and please follow our podcast so until we meet again on the 29th roll them dice fun and fair and don't be a freaking short pants bye Night, everybody catch you live would like to thank you for slumming it through another show with us for all things dice dragons demons and a dwarf in the warhammer worlds We'll be back again real soon, so until then, roll them dice fun and fair, and don't be a frickin' short pants. You can get your Grimdark Live fix on on our live show, or catch us on our Grimdark Live podcast. Never fear, gang. There'll be more great content from Grimdark Live coming to you each and every week. So stay tuned and stay grim while you dice-chucking, blue-sniffing gamer goons. You're all awesome. Looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing blue. Remember to embrace the main message here on Grimdark Live, and that's a social contract we have between gamers and the commitment we have to each other in this community. We're only as good as our last game. Check us out at GrimdarkLive.com, and don't forget to subscribe, follow, and recommend Grimdark Live to your friends. So long, Grimdark Goons. Until next time, may the dice gods bless you and your sweaty palms. Bye. short pants.